You're listening to The Artin's Team, a podcast by FAM designers on how art and design intersect with science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Art has been a crucial element in many STEAM fields, from the aesthetics of architecture to the visualization of complex scientific data. This podcast celebrates the artistry in STEAM and highlights the critical role it plays in shaping our world through women's unique voices and journeys and their innovative work. We will also discuss how art and design can be used to communicate scientific concepts, spark creativity and innovation, and encourage young people to pursue careers in STEAM. Each episode features a member of our collective of artists, scientists, technologists, and educators who all share a passion for designing a better tomorrow. This is the Art in STEAM. Hello, human thinkers, doers, makers, creators of our futures. I hope you're having a good week so far. You're listening to the Art in STEAM, and I'm your host, Noor. Good to have you with us. Do you ever feel overwhelmed by the day, bombarded by information from your surroundings and devices, anxious about the future, and unable to relax or catch your breath? You're not alone, and there are reasons for these feelings. Technology and our social environments, as well as their layout, colors, and forms, all emit energy frequencies that can affect our mood, positively or negatively, hindering our social well-being. In the past, our biological clock responded to external cues like light and darkness, regulating our physiological processes and sleep. Nowadays, artificial light from our devices can throw off our body's internal clock, creating imbalances. So, how can we promote better health and well-being and recalibrate our bodies? Could technology like wearables and computation also help us find our zen? In this episode, we will explore the intersection of photobiology, wearable technology, circadian rhythms, contributing to a healthy and productive lifestyle, and how the design and our living and working spaces can affect our mental health. This episode will take a bit of a different format from previous episodes, as two fan designers join us in conversation, Marula Zakaria and Katarina Richterlund. Marula Zakaria is an architect, designer, and researcher whose work explores the relationship between design and photobiology, from the regulation of the human circadian rhythm to the photosynthetic process of plants. Marula's work uses 3D printable biocomposites combined with adaptive optics to create dynamic material systems attuned to essential photobiological cycles of life. Marula holds a diploma in architectural engineering from the National Technical University of Athens and a master's of science in design and computation at MIT. She is currently completing her doctoral degree at the Harvard Graduate School of Design and is founder of Boston-based Atelier Morphologie, a studio transforming the interior's connection to nature through light. Katharina Richter-Lund is an architectural designer and researcher pursuing her doctorate of design at Harvard GSD. 
Her work today focuses on using our latest technological tools, neurological and physiological metrics, and existing research in cognitive psychology to qualify the built environment's effect on mental health. In addition, her work strives to determine how architecture, design, and wearables can embody spatial forms of therapy to provide more empathetic, seamless, and accessible design solutions for emotional disorders. Katharina holds a master's in design technology from Harvard GST and a Bachelor of Architecture from Cal Poly San Luis Obispo with a minor in sustainable environments. She has worked at leading architecture firms, including Sonehita, Arup, Iwamoto Scott, and most recently Gary Partners, where she worked as a project designer for three years. In 2022, Katarina also received the prestigious Paul and Daisy Soros Fellowship for New Americans. Welcome to you both. Thank you for being with us today. So happy to be here. Thank you for the invitation, uh, Noor, and thank you for the introduction. Well, Noor did a great job at introducing kind of the overall premise of the work, but I think we'll dig deeper into what really the meat of our work and research is. How does photobiology research impact the design of artificial lighting systems in buildings? How do circadian rhythms affect human health? And what experiments are you conducting to study this? Photobiology is a very uh, rich, in a, in a good way, it's a very truly interdisciplinary uh, field that, in general, studies the effect of light in all sorts of biological processes. Yes, that does extend to the built environment and the way that we inhabit the built environment. To answer that question of how it affects our circadian rhythms, because we will see it's primarily about that, but it really goes beyond that. It's, we have to think of photobiology as an umbrella, a big umbrella that it affects from our circadian rhythm to the photosynthetic process of plants, to our vision, to bioluminescence in living organisms, to basically everything. Uh, so the built environment is, for humans, a big field of effect of photobiology. But for nature, it's just a small part. Uh, so I hope that was not um, a huge intro to what it actually, to how it actually affects uh, our circadian rhythm within the built environment, which it does to a large extent. Uh, as Noor mentioned in her introduction, humans are an adaptive species. So before we got introduced to the context of the interior, where we have artificial light changing our biological clock, our bodies were attuned to work, live, and hunt outside during the morning hours and then rest. And that had a cycle, an early cycle that would change very little from season to season because uh, humans are adaptive, uh, adaptive uh, creatures and so on. So it really has to do with the time of the day. And when we think about photobiology and the built environment, our um, mind goes directly to sleep. But it's not really sleep, because if we think of how sleep affects 
uh, our lives, our hormones, our physiology, our mood, uh, which gets back to what you, Katarina, are working on. The answer is photobiology is in every activity, every aspect of our daily life, even when we are sleeping. The main principle through which photobiology affects us in the built environment is that the, our eyes perceive light through our vision, but also not through our vision, through our cells that are placed uh, onto our retina. Uh, so even if when we're sleeping, light affects us. And this is a not so well-known truth. In my work, I'm trying to bring that principle into a concept that can be applied to buildings uh, in ways that currently are, are not explored. The main principle through which photobiology affects us and that that applies everywhere, but especially in the built environment, is through the content of light, the wavelengths of light uh, that touch our retina. So what we see is the photopic light, but what actually affects uh, the our circadian rhythm is the melanopic content of light. Uh, and that, of course, works into a ratio. And where this ratio is higher, uh, we are more, we tend to be more alert. When this ratio lowers, we tend to relax. And this is when, where I will stop with the technicalities and say that everything that we place into the built environment affects that ratio. The materials on our walls, the posters on our walls, the lamps that we choose to put into our fixtures, they all count heavily into that content of light, this M over P, melanopic over photopic content. I focus my research on this specific uh, aspect of the built environment, but I know that you're also concerned, you're also researching health What are through, through different mediums, because I'm mostly working with things that essentially get into our eyes, affect not our vision, but also the, the area of our eyes and the way that it perceives light. Your work is so interesting because it, consider, uh, it considers other factors into this concept of health. So how do you define, how do you define health? How do you examine health and how do wearables help you understand uh, the built environment's contribution towards human health and in particular mental health. Yeah, Marula, I mean, our work has so much overlap because we're, we're really considering um, all of these kind of minute elements of our surroundings and of our environments that contribute and impact uh, things that perhaps people don't consider or perceive on a day-to-day basis. And when I use wearables in my research, my work, I use them in both in two different ways. One, as a, as a metric to collect data and, and to understand some of these psychophysiological metrics, um, by, by which I mean uh, subtle things like your um, heart rate, uh, your skin temperature, perhaps even your electrodermal activity, which is, um, which is your sweat sensors. And all of these very... Uh, small cues that essentially are connected to our uh, nervous system gives us today the indication of um, a certain level of emotional state of uh, well-being both on the cognitive side as well as the physical side so 
I, I rely heavily on wearable and wearable technology in my re- research in order to give me this information and this um, almost insight into a subconscious self that often we go through our lives, we're not con- continuously um, cognizant of of stress even. And and then I use wearables on the on the other side, on the end, on the output side as well, where um, I, I find wearables a really great tool to test um, different types of um, mediated responses very quickly because they have the benefit that they're on the body, they're close to close to the skin. You can have an immediate response to calm someone down with vibration, haptics, pressure, heat. Um, or even sometimes um, mimicking heart rate um, patterns that your body will then subconsciously start to mimic as well if you're looking to calm someone down. Or on the opposite side, you know, look to some to kind of wake someone up and get them get them moving with haptic feedback and vibrations. I I use the technology of wearables both on the front end to collect my data, but also on the on the uh, output end to mediate a response. Um, and and today, when I'm kind of transitioning my research now more <clears throat> into the built environment, I, I rely now more on wearables for this data acquisition part where I'm and, and um, collecting a large range of physiological metrics to understand the person's current state of well-being um and specifically i focus on anxiety and stress um people who experience a lot of anxiety and stress and and then i'm translating those into kind of as you mentioned marula more tangible things that are like the materials of your wall or um the the space in the the scale and, and geometry of the spaces that you're in for example so very built environment and um, more architectural features does that process involve any challenges, especially the integration of input and output in your wearables? I mean, absolutely. I think the biggest challenge, especially just working with humans in general, <laughs> I mean, both of us have, have the human being at the center of our work. And um, uh, I think the biggest challenge is that every single person is different. Um, and so you when you collect data from from one person to the next you can't assume pretty much anything to be the same so so every single person has to kind of come with a consideration of baseline um also understanding um where they are at this point in time in terms of their mental health um in contrast to maybe last week or two weeks ago so there's there's a lot of consideration to be done, and it does make for much more challenging research parameters. But I think if we don't take on the challenge of putting the human at the center of design, then we won't we won't we won't get very far in terms of designing for people. So so yeah, that's um, but that kind of actually maybe leads me to a question for you, Marora, because. I think we we speak as as to as researchers but we also speak as designers and I'm so curious from your perspective how do you see design and research to be different for you and how do you think how fast can the integration of research go into design 
that is a question, Katarina, that I'm thinking every single day, especially when I'm switching between working for my academic research and then uh, working for my professional practice. And uh, when I'm working on my academic research, I'm thinking how what makes this research solid and when i'm working on my design practice i'm thinking of how does that how can that actually improve people's lives inside a home so i think it's a fundamental question for anyone that is doing research and wants some part of that research or some principles of that research to be applied into the actual world so for me research is more cerebral it's more rational it's more logical and basically it relies on facts, on systematic measuring of something that has an impact in a controlled way, whereas design, to a larger extent, mostly about our experience, our emotions, our sensations, and essentially our perceptual experience of the world. The thing is, people now are increasingly interested of on the science of this experience um, and what you do is part of that. What I do in my research is also part of that. So I think the true interest exists at the intersection of design that brings research into the material world or research that can actually be applied. I don't think that there is a perfect intersection. I don't think that every research project can be translated into a design approach or vice versa. But I do think that good research considers design as part of it, the potential of design as part of it. And good design implements research. This is why there's currently this that emerging market, emerging reality of research-driven design where we see new materials, new processes getting into products getting into design, getting into architectural spaces. And there is, in fact, a lot of research that goes into it. For example, those mycelium-based lamps that I in first saw uh, and started, got, got heavily inspired on a couple of years ago. Mycelium is something that is was first grown in the labs, but how we can bring it into our homes is a totally different question. And to me, that's the most fascinating part of design. Um, but I think that really ties to your work on space and special architecture and how, in fact, those f facts or findings from research can actually influence our mood, our energy levels, um, and what would the architects of the future, what principles should they consider when designing spaces for optimizing our well-being? And also, we talk about research, we talk about facts, but then we talk about our the built environment. What are the metrics that we can take from science to um, bring them into the built environment? Just to say that I think your answer on, on on that intersection of design and research, not I think it's entirely true and correct that there's no perfect balance, but uh, but having a bit of both is so fundamental uh, in both in the design and the in in that world and as well as the research uh, world. Uh, it's too often we can get into our own bubbles of just research or just practice. But to answer your question, Marula, more specifically, 
I mean, the the answer to that question hopefully will come uh, as I finish my dissertation, and I, and I'll be able to put uh, like exact parameters um, on different qualities of space and different qualities of materials that could potentially lend itself to a more healthy and whole space. But I think as my studies and initial research has shown, even the presence of more um, natural materials, so uh, wood, stone, even ceramics, um, uh, in combination, of course, with biophilia, so um, plants, but, but really I'm trying to focus on very much the architectural features so um also there's research that shows that curved spaces uh, or softer angles in spaces have shown a decrease in stress symptoms at a moment of stress so these more almost subtle but big moves that architecture can have um has have shown results in some way of um, of decreasing stress or, or even being more pleasant to be in. I think the biggest lack that, and this is where the metrics come in, biggest lack that we see in the industry of architecture is the there's no scientific rigorous metrics that back up uh, these claims. I can I can go to you and I can tell the building um, building code to enforce windows and enforce natural materials in a space. But if they don't have the metrics and the scientific backing to prove that that actually makes a difference in human well-being, there's a very low chance that that, that those uh, metrics are going to or those rules are going to be implemented in the built environment. And we see this, I mean, in other countries where these rules have been implemented and, of course, uh, life satisfaction and, and building design are often a little bit better. My hope with the dissertation is to put forth not only a methodology, but also some rules that are backed by metrics that I'm taking from the scientific discipline, such as um, the electrodermoactivity, which is essentially your sweat sensors, that do have a direct link to understanding energy, um, arousal rates, when you're excited, when you're down, um, and even links to depression um, and stress. So the the hope is that these kind of extra metrics and, and the combination of science and design will hopefully be strong enough to actually implement change within the the discipline and within the built environment. And with that understanding of needing both the science and the design, um, I think kind of brings this to what STEM education is all about and what a STEM education, how it impacts all of the fields that are encapsulated in STEM. And I'm curious, Madula, with you, what your experience was uh, in STEM education and how it's impacted your research and um, what skills have you found particularly valuable in your fields that correlate with STEM? I think this is a great question and what because it brings me back to what fascinated me the most in STEM education and it's the empowering nature of science and the empowering nature of being able to reason over what you think, reason over what you're building, especially in architecture. That's why I value that 
classical architectural education with the rules that all the rules and the codes that you learn, especially as moving on to graduate school and then doctoral studies. I use the fundamentals of that STEM education, the fact that, yes, there are rules, yes, there are facts, especially when talking about the circadian rhythm, we're talking about spectral behavior of the built environment, color in combination with light. I think the more you progress into research, yes, you get constrained by the rules of the discipline, constrained into quotes, because personally, I feel liberated because I feel that through research and through my current doctoral research uh, and practice, but mostly research, I am able to bring those rules into design and change the way that we design, knowing that I have digested the rules. I can now design walls that behave differently in the morning versus at night, for example. This is the core of what I do and my experiments. So I thank my STEM education for giving me the fundamentals, uh, the solid fundamentals, for being able to think of ways of changing the way that we built our interiors and we construct the built environment. How has that experience, that sort of STEM education, have uh, affected you? The STEM education to me is so fundamental in also advocating for a multidisciplinary output. So learn about hard sciences, but you learn about design and you learn about art and you learn about the implica- implications of both of these methods, which are so incredibly different. Um, you know, methodology, like Marola, you and I are using methodology from the sciences within a design context, which is just, uh, I mean, till maybe a few years ago, <clears throat> kind of unheard of. Um, but it's only possible because of the collaborations, because of the STEM education we received, but also today because of the other um, STEM uh, students that are willing to collaborate and work with us. Um, We both know that nothing can be done alone uh, and no great research will be completed just by one person. So the, the beauty is that coming from a STEM education, has given me the tools to be able to collaborate with scientists, with um, with artists, with other designers, um, and and feel and with engineers and feel very much able to be part of the conversation, as well as have a really fruitful collaboration. And I think that's that's at the heart of why STEM education is so incredibly important. So, what brings you the most joy? in the work research that you do on a, on a day-to-day basis, what, what makes you really happy with the work you do? On a very personal um, and not so deep uh, level, what brings me joy is designing things that change. Uh, in general, I, I always live to see things that have, you know, that are not only one thing. I mean, Yes, architecture has been built for years based on materials that have, you know, are this and that. But what brings me hope in life in, in general, and I, I love when that phenomenon, that principle applies it to design, is change, the ability to change. That's why I'm so attracted to adaptive materials and adaptive architecture. Uh, 
on that note, what brings me what brings me joy through the research that I do is change in people's lives. So, which makes which makes uh, my curiosity for change and dynamic behavior on an aesthetic level makes it more kind of substantial, makes it more meaningful when you see that something that changes form has also the ability to change the way that people experience that space. And I can't help but ask the same question for you because your experiments are very intellectual and very, very well designed. And I know how disciplined you have to be to design them, but there should be joy coming out of it, right? So what is that joy? How does that joy look and feel like? Honestly, the joy that I found more recently is surprisingly just working with people. Uh, As architects, you would think we work with people more, but we we don't. When I was an architect in LA, how often did I work with the people who are going to inhabit the space? Pretty much never. Um, But now I get to work on a day-to-day basis with people actually looking at their data, looking at the results, looking at how they experience space. Um, And as much as it's exhausting, uh, so exhausting to be doing this constantly, it it does bring me joy because I can see people's change in one environment to another. And that, that for me is, it gives me the at least the energy I need to get through my day um, and get through every study. So that that's my current joy, current joy of the week. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, this was a very uh, insightful dialogue. Uh, thank you for enlightening uh, this podcast with your knowledge. Um, uh, we have a lot to learn. Uh, from your journey. Uh, So what we heard today is uh, the importance of placing the human at the center of design, but also the importance of uh, bringing bringing research, finding ways of bringing research and research insights into the real world, into the real design of our uh, built environments. And we've heard about Uh, circadian uh, rhythms and photobiology and our uh, wearable technology and spatial architecture, which all have an impact on how we feel and um, how we live. So thank you very much for this uh, thought-provoking conversation. Thank you, Noor. Thank you, Katarina. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Do spread the love by sharing this link with your friends and colleagues. This podcast is for everyone who wants to be inspired, learn something new, and imagine a better future. If you would like to get involved with the Fam Designers community by hosting exhibitions, joining our podcast, moderating panel discussions, partnering with us, or sharing your work for review, Get in touch at contact at famdesigners.com or visit our website at www.famdesigners.com. Let's design a better tomorrow for everyone. Thanks for listening. This is the Art in Steam 